This is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson. We're from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. U.S. is about to hit another sad milestone in the pandemic, 600,000 deaths. Comes as today is the six-month anniversary of the mass rollout of the vaccines. So where do we stand right now with COVID? California's grand reopening tomorrow, but not everyone is really clear on the rules. More people ditching the masks, though. We'll look into whether that's putting pressure on those who still want to wear them, but uh, could be ridiculed for doing so. If you want proof that things are getting back to normal in the U.S., you should visit an airport. And schools across the country prepping for a surge in kindergarten students. We'll look into where the rush is coming from. Let's start with where we are now in the pandemic. With us is Dr. William Schaffner, professor of preventative medicine and infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. So, doctor, where are we right now? Well, we're in the process, right? And we're moving in the in the right direction, but we can't declare victory by any matter of means. In fact, over the last few days, I've gotten a little more cautious. You know, we saw cases going down all over the country. Wonderful. But now that decline has stopped and we've plateaued. So we're not continuing our decline. And the reason for that is pretty clear. A lot of people, unfortunately, still are not vaccinated. So what do we need to know going forward other than, hey, if you haven't got your shot, get your shot. Take us through the summer. Well, during the summer, we're obviously all getting together. Many of these activities, unmasked, out of doors, that's pretty low risk. But people do go indoors during the summer because it gets hot and you're in air conditioning. And then the other thing that has come to concern me is, as we were worried about, a new variant. This is called Delta. That's the one originally from India. It's very, very contagious, and it causes more illness than the parent strain. And that's beginning to circulate, just starting to circulate in the United States. Fortunately, our vaccines will prevent it, but they can't prevent it. If the vaccine is in the refrigerator, the vaccine has to move into arms. And so we're seeing now hospitalizations. The vast majority are among unvaccinated people. So, folks, if you haven't been vaccinated, please roll up that sleeve and get yourself to a vaccination center. So how comfortable should people who are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, be? I think they can be really quite comfortable. I always put a little footnote in there because there are some people who are completely vaccinated, but who are immune compromised. And we know the vaccine doesn't work as well in people who, because of an illness or a medication they're taking, are immune compromised. They they should still, when they're out in crowds, wear their masks and be a bit more cautious than people who have normal immune systems and who are vaccinated. They're pretty well protected. At what point do they get to be less cautious, or is this something they just always have to have in the back of their minds? Maybe it's a booster in the fall or something that gets us through the last stretch or gets them through the last bit of it? Well, Mike, we haven't decided about the boosters yet, but we'll keep that in mind if they become uh, recommended. 
I think if we could get vaccination rates up to that level that we aspire to beyond the 70% that the president has asked for, up to 80% or higher, then I think everybody can relax a little bit more because unless some crazy new variant shows up, that should really drive transmission, the spread of this virus very, very low. Dr. William Schaffner, Professor of Preventative Medicine, Infectious Diseases, Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. California less than 24 hours away from its grand reopening. That means restaurants, bars, movie theaters, stadiums, and other venues can go back to normal capacity. You won't need masks in most settings, but what specifically are the rules? And are business owners fully aware? Dana Slatkin, executive chef, owner of Violet's Bistro School and Shop in Westwood in Los Angeles. So, Dana, do you know what you need to do or not do tomorrow? (laughs) Kind of a loaded question there. Um, from where I sit, we are going um, to full capacity, which is great news. Our guests may or may not be wearing masks. We will still be wearing masks. Uh, but the biggest thing for us is we've been carrying this very heavy burden of kind of being responsible for maintaining our guests' health um, as restaurants. And I think we will no longer have that burden. I think that now it's going to be on our guests to decide whether they want to wear a mask or not, whether they want to be in a crowded indoor dining room or not. So that's a big change for us, and and we're cautiously optimistic. Yeah, what was it like having to play mask police all this time? Um, It was not always fun, let me tell you. And people were crabby about it. Uh, We had a lot of guests who were very defensive about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. And, uh, you know, it got um, it got us into some sticky territory that we weren't used to being in. And so this releases a lot of that burden from restaurants. And that's a, that's a big release. Economically, I would imagine this is going to be good news. Yes, for sure. I mean, we have been at limited capacity for 15 months now. So it feels good to get to be a real restaurant again. Do you have any concerns about, if there's no mask wearing in the part of the customers, about people who didn't get their vaccines but uh, are still going to show up and not wear their masks? Have you heard from any employees who are a little bit skittish about going to full capacity? Things like that, because we are on an honor system here. Yes, that's true. Our whole team is vaccinated, so um, I, I think we all feel pretty confident that with all the protocols that we put into place and that are kind of second nature now, uh, we should be we should be fine. Um, I, I, I feel pretty good about that. We have a lot of outdoor space. We're, we're very lucky. We have a courtyard and a sidewalk cafe. So we're leaning into those spaces. And then for the indoor dining room, yes, we, we are going to trust our guests. Um, but we'll be, we'll be ready for them. I, I'm curious, uh, Dana, whether there will be things that are going to survive the uh, pandemic uh, in terms of practices at your place. Are, are there things that are that have changed because of the pandemic that you think are now going to be sort of just the way it's going to be for now on? Yeah, that's a good question. We have definitely put in a lot of practices that I think will are here to stay. Outdoor dining is the biggest one. I think everyone was craving more uh, living outdoors, and I hope that's um, something that we'll be doing much more of in the future. 
Um, and then just, it was a big wake up call as far as sanitation. You know, we sort of just took it for granted that um, we were all safe. And now I think we realize it's, you know, we take on a certain risk just being people in this world. So we're much more aware of that. We're, we're still going to wipe things down and, you know, even just the perception of keeping things clean, I think is important. And we'll definitely keep that in place as well. Dana Slatkin, executive chef, owner of Violet Bistro, school and shop there in Westwood. Dana, thanks. It wasn't too long ago that people would be shamed and scolded for refusing to wear a mask. If you tried to go into a store without one, customers would get mad, yell at you, tell you to leave. Now that mask rules are easing and people vaccinated, many are ditching them. So if you're wearing one, now are you the one getting the strange looks? Dr. Arthur Kaplan, founding head of the Division of Medical Ethics at NYU's School of Medicine. So, doctor, um, not a big deal if some people still like wearing them, yeah? Yeah, I think there may be some pushback. Some making fun of people are still masking, but I think it's completely wrong, completely inappropriate. You know, as you say... You might be a cancer patient, you might have just gotten a transplant, you might have an immune disease, all of which make you very, very vulnerable to uh, not only COVID, but flu and other respiratory diseases that are flying around. And there's still pockets of people in places and some counties in California that have pretty crummy vaccination rates, you know, seeing a few hovering around 35%. That's not good enough. There may be pockets of people who didn't vaccinate, who live near you. They could whip up a new strain, get infected with something. So, yeah, I think it's completely wrong to sort of poke fun or uh, try to uh, somehow insult people who continue to mask. So how do you, though, prevent yourself from being shamed or feeling shamed? And And I say that because... Uh, I mentioned in the last segment, I I came back from a few days. I was in part of the country where nobody was wearing masks at all. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm vaccinated, so I walked around and I thought, well, I can't be the only one wearing a mask. (laughs) So uh, I caved. I caved, like, instantly. I'd make a bad spy. I would cave in, like, just like that, (laughs) you know. So how do you stop yourself from caving? This is a bad... uh segment. First, we're all quitting our jobs, and now we're uh, embarrassed to wear our own yeah, mask. Yeah. Well, look, Real um, around here. I, I think the way to keep going is this. There are big parts of the world where people have been masking every day long before COVID. You know what fell to almost nothing this past year? Flu, respiratory illnesses, colds. It may be smart to continue to mask, even if you're not doing it for COVID. So you can take some you know, uh, solace in the fact that masking can actually be a good thing to prevent you from getting other diseases. And there are these new strains out there. Maybe the vaccinations will keep you immune. Maybe they won't. You're a little bit safer if you keep masking. By the way, I'm in Connecticut and I'm not masking. We're really heavily vaccinated here. The people I come in contact with are vaccinated. So I'm not too worried about it. Do you think masks do come back for for? colder months and flu season and hey if you have a cold maybe you're going to the pharmacy you got to pick up some medicine and you put one on uh because you remember covid times so you go oh, i'm gonna protect these people at the store in case i sneeze on them i do i do think that's going to happen i think something else is going to happen we may see some of the vaccine efficacy some of its power begin to wane you know it starts to wear out start to hear talk of boosters i think people could be slapping on masks pretty quickly 
they start hearing that there are, you know, the vaccines are becoming less effective over time. So are you you mentioned you're in Connecticut and everyone there where most people are, are vaccinated. So are, are what category are, did you cave like me is my question. No, no. I've been into the supermarket. I've been in restaurants. I haven't caved. Uh, but I do think when we get toward the winter, a little bit more indoors, a little bit more exposure to things like the flu season starting up. I, I think I wouldn't call it caving, but I might be prudent. All right. Dr. Arthur Kaplan, founding head, Division of Medical Ethics, NYU's School of Medicine. Coming up after a short break, airports getting busier and busier. Security screenings at U.S. airports this weekend topped two million a day for the first time in the pandemic. Shows that people are getting more and more comfortable taking trips. Yeah, we're at the point again where even your best friend doesn't want to pick you up from LAX. WBBM's Cisco Cotto talks to Joe Schwederman, professor of public services, director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University, about the resurgence of air travel. You know, that buildup is just just as uh, the airlines had predicted. It's been steady. It's been uh, consistent across different parts of the country. So it's mostly good news here. I think it follows the pattern we expected. You know, that said, you compare it to 2019, and we're still down 25 percent. And a lot of those missing passengers are the high fare business uh, flyers. Yeah, that's what the airlines really need, right? They need that business travel back. Well, they are seeing some real strength on the pleasure fares, and Southwest has said their fares actually exceed 2019 levels, and uh, uh, we're seeing uh, a real strength for summer, and passengers are willing to pay, so all that's good news. But you take really the big three, Delta United American, and you take away that heavy hitter frequent flyer that lives on full fare traffic, last-minute bookings. And uh, there's still some pain there for the airlines. We do think, though, that uh, late summer Labor Day will see a pivot on that. And when it comes to where people are going, a lot of this is still domestic, right, because of how challenging overseas is? That's a really good point. I think we, uh, a lot of us, were over-optimistic that Europe was going to be a, a big story this summer. But it just hasn't played out that way. They still require a COVID test to come back in the U.S., even if you're vaccinated. And the EU hasn't yet unveiled the full range of, you know, continent-wide uh, you know, plans that they're going to allow. So people are still hesitant to buy Europe, and that's uh, that's bad news, especially for United American that that really live on that transatlantic route. Are, are there any things that are maybe different at the airports now that more people are there? It seems like social distancing is going to be difficult when you get more and more people there. Yeah, we're hearing reports that TSA pre-check uh, registrations are kind of going through the roof because people are ready to go and they know that uh, they're going to get that eighty-five dollars back in reduced uh, waiting time. Uh, but I have to say that the, the stories of, of lines uh, stretching, you know, half mile out of the airport really haven't happened yet, that uh, we're worried about June. But so far, particularly in Chicago, the lines have been quite manageable. Sometimes that pre-check line, uh, it gets pretty long, too. It's, it's sort of like the more people that get pre-check, the, the, the longer the waits are. Yeah, and uh, and the federal government is way too optimistic on what share people would do pre-check a few years ago and maybe uh, – this recovery will will jumpstart that a little bit because it does help the TSA when you know there's less uh, shoes coming off and that sort of thing. Um, but you know we're not yet into peak season. I would say that starts in about ten days when July hits and people start planning those August vacations. Uh, it's going to be uh, fun to watch. What uh, happens to airfares? I'm thinking other aspects of travel too, even the rental cars, the hotels. Now that there's this crush of people. You know, we looked at rent-a-cars a few weeks ago in a study we did, and we were shocked. I mean, it's uh, 
you know, not uh, 150 a day in some places. It's two, 300 a day, and this is not uh, uh, some podunk airport. These are major Florida destinations. So the rent-a-car thing, they think, really is going to be a drag on uh, on growth if that situation doesn't improve. And I have to say, worker shortage, that seems to be getting better but that uh, those two factors are a big negative. Yeah, thanks so much. Always good insight from Joe Schwederman. Schools across the country getting ready for a surge of kindergarten students. This incoming class could be one of the largest ever as enrollment recovers during the pandemic. Stephen Barnett, senior co-director of the National Institute for Early Education Research at Rutgers University. So, uh, Stephen, why so many kids now? Well, I think everyone knows that what happened during the pandemic is um, remote education didn't work well for the youngest children. And so some parents just said, I'm not doing this. Some kindergartners, uh, I've seen this myself, just closed their laptop and said, no more school. Uh, And um, parents were very frustrated for the ones who did keep their kids in kindergarten. Um, and so I think a lot of them are ready for a do-over, and in many places that that's allowed. Um, uh, some place, you know, whether you sent your kid to kindergarten or for those who didn't, um, we don't know how many of those will show up. Uh, yeah. Looking at the preschoolers, uh, we also know they have much higher rates of, of parents reporting that they have social-emotional problems. Okay, so so some are going to do the do-over, but what about some other parents who just didn't send them? Because I remember, I think all of us had at least a kid or two in our class that was a little older, a little younger, because they were in that, like, age range cutoff, and then the parents just waited to send them to kindergarten. So I'm wondering if a lot of parents waited this time because it was a pandemic, so we'll just we'll put them in class a little later. No big deal. Well, I think that's possible. We We don't have good numbers on that yet. What we get is kind of spotty reporting from here and there, in some places, that that alone could be 20% of the kids. So will there be enough teachers? Because because of the pandemic, uh, I've been reading recently, a lot of teachers have decided to either take early retirement or, uh, you know, they, they're just are questioning whether they want to continue doing what they're doing because of all the hassles of the past year. Will there be enough teachers in the classrooms to accommodate all of these kindergarten kids? It's a great question. If I was a kindergarten teacher, I think it might be a great year for a year <laughs> off. <laughs> right? So uh, school districts are planning uh, to hire more kindergarten teachers. I, I, we hear that uh, around the country. Uh, I think they're making plans on how to better support teachers. We'll need n- not just more kindergarten teachers, but, but more support staff to support children who are having trouble adjusting to being in school, adjusting to get along with others, it, probably in bigger classes. Um, so it's it's not just a teacher pr- problem. Uh, we're going to have to work hard to get all sorts of support staff in there as well. Yeah, if I'm mom or dad and I was worried that the kid didn't get a good education on Zoom because it's hard for a kindergartner to, to do Zoom school, but now should I be worried that they're going into a larger class and then there's going to be some, some lackluster learning there? I mean, it, it, praise to the teachers who are trying to get everything done with, with more kids running around. I think that that's a valid concern. More kids running around who are having difficulty adjusting to school. Uh, 
so it's it's hard to know how to advise parents and and every child is different um, I'd like to see more places creating on ramps during the summer uh, to help kids uh, get better prepared to help inform parents give them some information for making that decision uh, I'm I'm worried too many school districts don't know yet um, how many kids will show up for kindergarten you know and and that is sort of an interesting problem that uh, as a country i think we're going to face uh, in the next few years that you know the pandemic is waning in this country uh people are going you know california's reopening tomorrow whatever that means we're reopening uh but the impact on education especially for younger kids this is going to be something that's going to going to be with us for quite some time isn't it it is, and it's something that we should address over time. Uh, we cer- certainly shouldn't overload teachers next year with additional new programs we want them to do. We should support them in doing the best job they can do at what they're already doing. But then we may need to create some extras, after-school tutoring, um, summer programs, um, different ways of, of, of children getting one-on-one support, maybe helping their parents with what can I do at home uh, to help support my child in what's going to be difficult for everybody. Stephen Barnett, Senior Co-Director, National Institute for Early Education Research at Rutgers University. Another vaccine could be available soon. Novavax says its shot is highly effective against covid and also protected against variants in a large late-stage study in the U.S. and in Mexico. It says the vaccine is about 90% effective, and that rivals Moderna and Pfizer. Demand for COVID-19 shots in the U.S., uh, by the way, has dropped off dramatically, but the need for more vaccines around the world, well, that remains critical. The Novavax vaccine, which is easy to store and transport, it is expected to play an important role in boosting vaccine supplies in the developing world. This is an Odyssey original. Find us at the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.